John 15, 9 to 15. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I have made known to you. This is the word of the Lord. We are two weeks now into a series that has us thinking about wisdom in the book of Proverbs. So a little strange that we're reading from John chapter 15, but hold with that for a moment. And we decided this year that we would look at various characters that you meet in the book of Proverbs. Last week we met Lady Wisdom and she is beautiful. Today, uh, we're meeting a character that keeps popping up uh, through the book of Proverbs. It's the friend. And there's good wisdom on what it means to be a friend. But, but of course, as you start to do that, it's worth thinking about uh, how important friendship is. Without question, one of the ways in which the last century or the last half century in the West will be defined will be with the identification of being individualistic. The I has dominated over the we. And you can think about how true that is in various different places, where you and what's yours, more important than the gathering, the community, the other things, the family, all those things. The I has dominated over the we. And somewhat logically and uh, without question, one of the ways that the last quarter of a century at least has been defined has been with an epidemic of loneliness. Not surprising. If you have a world that focuses on being individualistic and your own personal needs, it's not surprising um, that there's an epidemic of loneliness. C.S. Lewis, uh, who writes a lot about friendship, and in one essay that it's entitled The Four Loves, makes the point that as soon as we are fully conscious, conscious, we discover loneliness. Just think about that for a moment, actually, how true that is. As a, as a little baby, as soon as a baby gets consciousness, there's a sense in which they understand loneliness, that they need others immediately for their survival, to be fed and protected. They need others. We need others physically, emotionally, intellectually. We need them if we are to know anything. It's true. The only way you're going to gain knowledge is if other people impart it to you in some kind of way or even how you might know yourself truly that we need others. That's not a new thought. Uh, it's ancient. Uh, well more ancient than the poem that John Donne wrote, but in 1624 he penned these words, and uh, excuse, please excuse the, uh, the masculine um, names in here, but understand man to call all of us and mankind, all of humanity. But perhaps many of you are familiar with this. No man is an island entire and of itself. Every man is a piece of the continent, a part of the main. If a clod, just a tiny bit, if a clod be washed away by the sea, Europe is the less, as well as if a promontory were, a whole big section was washed away, as well as if a manor of thy friend, someone's house was washed away, or thine own were, 
See, any man's death diminishes me because I'm involved in mankind and therefore never send to, never send to know for whom the bell tolls. It tolls for thee. If they ring out the bell to say that someone's passed, remember that all of us are diminished from that loss. And yet that's coming to a world that's enveloped by individualistic identity. But you sense that it's not quite true, especially in times like these, don't you? I mean, as you've read or heard reports of things that have happened in communities up and down the coast... How often are you struck by the fact that it's communities that are rallying, neighbours that are there supporting one another, the, the, the camaraderie that comes through, the, the mateship that is so deep within all of us. We might say and live and actually reflect a very individualistic kind of way of living, and yet it's times like these, times of adversity, where you recognise that in fact we're connected, we're part of the whole, we're part of the mainland. And so, if the wisdom of our age has been live for yourself and fight for your rights and promote uh, yourself and self-actualise, it's also then not surprising that we have a significant number who identify as being alone and lonely, and that'll include some of us. I I wonder if part of the fruit of what our country is uh, suffering through at the moment won't be a reminder of how much we need one another of how hard it would be to fight something like a fire or survive through a drought if it weren't for those who would come and sacrifice their time and their expertise and sometimes even their own lives. See, another issue that addresses all of this is to realise that one of the antidotes to the rampant individualism and the epidemic loneliness that's around us is not an app on your phone or some social networking platform It's the very, very ancient and old idea called friendship. So in a series where we've been exploring some of the characters uh, in, uh, in the book of Proverbs, we meet the friend continually. Keeps popping up, hello, all over the place, telling you more things about what a friend is like. Oh, hello, have you thought about this? Hello, up they come. Really, really helpful. But before you meet the friend, it's actually important that you see that, in fact, any friendship that you have or any desire that you have to relate with other people, the desire that you might have to give yourself uh, into the lives of other people, is not actually a biological drive or some evolutionary instinct. But there's actually something deeply theological about why we like and why we long for healthy relationships. That just means that there's something about God behind why we like other people and being with them, why you need others. It's something about the nature of God. But it's interesting, isn't it? I say we need others, but when you think for a moment, you realise actually the others in your life, once you get level of independence, you can feed yourself, you don't need others. You don't need friends, if you like, to survive. You could survive without them. Having others in your life isn't necessary, for, isn't necessary for your survival. It's not like oxygen or water or food. But no sooner have you said that and you stop and think, yeah, but it's not good, is it? You might be able to survive, but it's not good to be alone. Life would be a lot less without others. And right at that point, you're thinking like God when he creates humanity. 
So in the very beginning, God identifies that there's something that's relational within His creatures that He's created. And it's especially true of the creatures, creatures that He's made bearing His own image. That He reveals Himself as relationally complete. God, the party of three, He's the triune God, Father, Son and Spirit, who as He creates us, is from the beginning desiring a relationship with humanity and that humanity would be in relationship with each other. Not just a world full of independent human beings running around, but connected. And he says of that, that it is very good. And so what we come to know, almost instinctively, is that friendship, having others in your life, is one of the amazing discoveries that God has planted in this world that makes life more enjoyable. There's something abundant. It's not a necessity, but it's there. And life is more enjoyable because of it. Where those friends are good and wisely forged and maintained, friendship's beautiful. Friendship's a little like colour, or like fragrance, or like texture. God could have made the world all of one smell. I don't know what you want that smell to be. <laughs> all of one colour. But instead, he didn't. And so there's a richness into God's world, an abundance, that there's a spectrum of colour. And there's a perfumery of scents and a smorgasbord of flavours and, and textures. And, and that's what friendship is like. In, in the chapter that C.S. Lewis writes on friendship, he says it like this. He says that friendships are forged out of this point where we meet other people and it begins with something like this that says, What? You too? I thought I was the only one. And just think about what that's saying at a, at a moment. It's saying that you move through life, and these aren't people that are born into your family, but just people that you have met through your life, and you discover some point of connection. And you say, what? You too? You like that? James Taylor, really? I never knew. I thought I was the only one. Well, I didn't think that. But you think of the strange things in your life that you've connected over, and the depths of friendships that happen because of that. The, the, the what's, the, the you too, I thought I was the only one. And what we discover in all of this is that friendship is an incredible gift. Unnecessary. I might be surplus to your need, but you're not meant to do life without me, says the friend. C.S. Lewis says that friendship is, that unne is unnecessary. It's like philosophy or like art or it's like the universe itself for God did not need to create. But that, the fact that friendship is, what a gift. For it is the least instinctive and organic and biological and necessary thing. It's interesting, isn't it? It's not biological. The friend, or you might be friends with your family, but the friends that you have have come about not because of something that's connected you by birth, but it's come about as a gift or a grace from God. And that's the first thing I want us to see as we think about what it is to think wisely, to, to listen to the friend in Proverbs, this character that pops up so repeatedly. It's to see that God planted the desire for friendship in our hearts so that we would discover that there's more joy in life. We, we see life better because of that friendship. Proverbs 27 verse 9. Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. 
Just reflect on this for a moment. Uh, you, you need to start with the acceptance that the idea that perfume and incense bring joy. And for most people, that's true most of the time. And here's why. Because some things are smelly, a little bit stinky. Some people even are a little bit smelly, a little bit stinky. And then how good is perfume or cologne when it's subtly applied? And I say subtly because that's important as well, correct? See, you see, if you've got a waiter who's come to that shift that night straight from his baseball training and he's not showered and he's not perfumed his pits, right, then he might deliver your food, but he does not bring you joy. See, what that man needs, that young man, he needs a friend. He needs the pleasantness of a friend to give heartfelt advice that says, buddy, I bought you this, it rolls on. Please bring joy to the heart and all of your customers and your work colleagues by using it repeatedly. It's true, isn't it? I did that 25 years ago to someone I worked with, by the way. There's no one in the room. So you meet the friend in Proverbs and they say, I might be surplus to your need, but you're not meant to do life without me because there's something instinctively pleasant about having friends in your life, about having me, the friend. I'm an aroma that's nice to have around and I'm beneficial because I can advise you. I'll say things that other people won't say. I know you well and I know how you think. And I'm not cruel and I'm not a critic. I'll bring heartfelt advice. I care about you. The friend is loving towards you and you're not meant to do life without those people in your life. And so when the Bible talks about friendship and you hear the wisdom of the friend, it doesn't talk about acquaintances or distance. It talks about intimacy. It's not Facebook friends and likes. There's something tangibly deep about friendship. That friendship makes contact so much so that it shapes you and you are shaped by it and you shape others by your interactions with them. When the message version of the Bible records Proverbs 27, 17, which is quite a well-known Proverbs, it, it picks up on this sense. You use steel to sharpen steel, as iron sharpens iron. One friend sharpens another. And just reflect for a moment if that's been true in your life, as you've seen that as friends have done that in your life, sharpening you, and that you've been that to them, steel on steel, sharpening one another. See, the, the wisdom of the friend in Proverbs tells you that you're needing those kind of relationships, but not necessarily heaps of them, just enough, and that might be one. It's not about quantity when you come to look at the book of Proverbs or through the Bible, it's about the quality of the nature of the relationships. You may only have a couple of close friends and that may well be all you need. Proverbs, 20, sorry, Proverbs 18, verse 24. One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. See, having many unreliable friends or companions, that doesn't necessarily get you very far. Oh, they'll blow in and they'll blow out. But to have a friend that is close. That's a gift. And that's to have some, some wise friend and counsel around you. See, even to have a family member, like a brother, they are there for you. And there's kind of that um, obligatory love that a sibling has. They, they may not like hanging out with you, but they're there for you. Uh, Proverbs 17, verse 17. 
says that a friend loves at all times, but a brother is born for a time of adversity. That when life caves in, the family rushes. The brother, the sister, whoever it might be, the sibling is there to aid help. But then when you look back to 24 of, verse eight, of chapter 18, it says there's one that sticks even closer than that. There's one who cleaves even closer than that, that link that comes within families. The reliable friend that loves. The little word there that comes in there in the word sticks closer is the Hebrew word that often is otherwise translated as cleave. Just bedded in, embedded. It's a commitment. Sticks better than a sibling. See, our siblings are there, they're stuck with us because we're family, but a a friend chooses you and sticks with you because they love you by choice. And in a sense, friendship then is exactly the right kind of picture of the love that Jesus has for us. It's like that picture of adopted love, loved by choice. And here, friendship, loved by choice. See, Jesus calls his disciples his friends in John 15. Because he loves them by choice. And that's the kind of friend that we're meant to be and the kind of friends we're meant to have. Friends that that love without a responsibility or an obligation to do so. See, you'll find a friend when you find another person who knows who you really are and doesn't walk away. They stick. And so when you discover one like that, hold on. Of course, it would be wise to ask ourselves first, not how many of those kind of friends do I have, but is that the kind of friend that I am? See, I think this is right. You be a friend to make a friend. See, not only would you think understand, and to understand that friendship is a gift, but Proverbs also wants you to realise that friendship has got to be built it, it, it happens out of, out of, out of wisdom. And, for, and Proverbs, our little friend, keeps popping up and says, please, build wisely. These are gifts to be enjoyed, but they will require wise effort. And Proverbs actually has a lot to say about the wise kind of effort that you need. Last week I mentioned a commentary that Derek Kidner has written years ago, 50 years ago. And in it he has a section on, uh, on friendship in Proverbs. And he identifies four or three things, particularly, about the kind of friendship and the things that we need to be careful about. And he says that the friend has consistency, constancy, has candour and counsel, and a carefulness. And I just want to run through and summarise this and show you how this works out, because it's incredibly helpful. That idea of constancy, this friend that is always with you, Uh, Sticks closer than a sibling in Proverbs 20 and verse 6. See, many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person, who can find? Oh, many will claim it. Yeah, 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 I'm there. I'm unfailing in my love for you, but push come to shove, blow in, blow out. See, is there a difference between the kind of friend that you say that you are and the kind of friend that you actually are. Proverbs points out that superficial friends don't stick, and particularly don't stick when times are bad. Proverbs 19 verse 4, wealth attracts many friends, 
Proverbs 19, verse 7, the poor are shunned by all their relatives. How much more do their friends avoid them? The world falls apart. The failing friend, gone. But real friends are constant. A friend loves at all times. And I think what wisdom says to us about the, the characteristic of friendship is to be one who asks the question, what kind of friend am I in my faithfulness, my stickability in my friendships? So the best way to find a faithful friend is to be a faithful friend, to be available then, and even for others to know that you're available. See, perhaps we're confident that if a friend was truly in need, that we would be there for them. But I wonder, would anyone think of turning to you in such a circumstance? Would you be the port of call? I've hit this problem. I'm feeling this way. I need to talk to, and you're at the other end of the line. You're over the fence. You're nearby. You have that kind of proximity. See, maybe the reason we don't have the friends that we need is because we haven't learnt to be the kind of friend that we ought to be. Proverbs 27, verse 10. Don't forsake your friend or a friend of your family and do not go over to your relative's house when disaster strikes you. Better a neighbour nearby than a relative far away. That's an incredible proverb, isn't it, for this month? You think of the communities up and down the coast. How important are the people right there? I, mean, I think we all want to do something. And please, think about the way you might respond, the generosity, that you, the way you might befriend those who are suffering now. But the best people are the people who are right there. And a relative might be a great distance, but that I might be able to call on someone who I have this connection with, who's in my life, who's right there, that I can call upon as disaster strikes. Well, I need to maintain those friendships. See, we need the constancy of friendships with contact and proximity. And it starts by what Kidna calls being constant in our friendships. But then he goes on and talks about candor and counsel. He identifies this idea that we're all in sinners in need of help. We all have blind spots. And actually, friends are God's gift to help us repent and change and move forward and see what we don't see in ourselves. See, friends don't just humour and flatter us, they speak the truth. Proverbs 29 and verse 5. Those who flatter their neighbours are spreading a net for their feet. Not helpful at all. In fact, dangerous. Just that flattery that says, oh no, you're terrific, everything's fantastic. Down they go. But real friends deal honestly. They sharpen, as we saw before. They say what others won't or can't. And they make us wise or wiser. So do you have friends in your life who can sharpen you? Do you have a friend who can tell you the cold, hard truth when necessary? And, and added to that, are you that kind of friend? With that kind of candour and bringing that kind of counsel to your friends, speaking the truth in love, honestly. So you know you have a friend when you can say to them or they can say to you what no one else can get away with. And to say that without hiding our love for one another. See, Proverbs 27 verses 5 and 6. Better is an open rebuke 
than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Have you been that kind of friend who could wound? Who could say things knowing this will upset and hurt, but it's necessary? It's the medication that's required, it's the surgery that's necessary, it's imperative. And it can be trusted because it comes from a friend. Or are you just multiplying kisses and not loving? Oscar Wilde said, a true friend stabs you in the front. (laughs) He was picking up on biblical wisdom. See, a friend sees what we can't see about ourselves and they're bluntly honest, hopefully, And that can save us. That candidness, though, is there because it's there to counsel. It's to do good. It's not just listing out rules and saying, if you're going to be my friend, you've got to do this, do that. No, it's it's loving. It's upbuilding. It's not detached. Remember where we started before? Oh, I haven't printed this out. But Proverbs 27, verse 9, Perfume and incense bring joy to the heart, and the pleasantness of a friend springs from their heartfelt advice. That heartfelt advice, it's like a spring, it it comes into our lives, it's pleasant to us. And I read this somewhere this week, a friend isn't just a prophet speaking the truth in the face of sin, but is also a priest bringing you to Jesus for help. Bringing counsel, candid counsel. And of course, the last part that Kidner identifies is that in our friendships, we ought to be careful. Careful with one another. This is why um, wisdom requires so much wisdom. Because it's really easy to muck up friendships. It's really easy for them to go wrong. And Proverbs has a lot to say about relationships, friendships that go wrong. And I suspect that we could have a lot to say about friendships from years gone by that are no more, that have gone wrong. And what happened? Was someone not careful? Were you not careful? Proverbs says you'll need to be wise to be a good friend and loving. You'll need to be careful and wise in that care. Proverbs 18 verse 21 identifies that at the Heart of our friendships is the way that we communicate with one another and that the tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. It brings life as you encourage and upbuild and counsel and guide, but it can also, just with a word, destroy. And so throughout Proverbs, we're taught many things about the way in which we might do our relationships that actually have to do with the use of our tongue and our interactions with one another. Uh, One of the ways it identifies is the danger that gossip will have, but also being standoffish and aloof, and then also holding on to things and not forgiving. So Proverbs will say, do not be a friend who gossips or make friends with one who is, because gossip is to friendship what adultery is to marriage. It destroys trust and it fractures the relationships. Proverbs 16, verse 28. A perverse person stirs up conflict and gossip, a gossip separates close friends. Maybe 
you have suffered that. As people have spoken things about you and not to you. And it has driven a wedge between close friends. Perhaps you've shared those things. And it has separated that friendship. Our wise friend in Proverbs says, don't. Your tongue has the power of life and death, it says. And in Proverbs 20 verse 19, it says, a gossip betrays a confidence. So avoid anyone who talks too much. Be wise and be careful. And it's interesting, isn't it? You think about, and we'll think more about Jesus in a moment, but does he ever gossip? Not ever. He has these incredible friends. In fact, he's, he's, he's known to be the friend of, uh, of drunkards and gluttons, and he's got a lot of material that he, could, that he could dish out on his friends. He knows his friends inside and out. And when he speaks of his friends, he only has good to say because their faults are not his talking points. A gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid anyone who talks too much. Of course, don't stand off and be aloof and detached. Proverbs 25 and verse 20. Like one who takes away a garment on a cold day, or like vinegar poured on a wound, so is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. It's saying understand and be connected with people and don't, don't be so detached. See, imagine how inappropriate it would be to be down in some south coast town right now and decide you're going to whip out your guitar and just kind of sing a little happy thing about a happy day. And I mean, get with the program. Mourn when those who mourn. Oh, yes, rejoice when those who rejoice. But don't take away the garment on a cold day. But do something helpful. Real friends know when to weep and when to rejoice. And the other things they know is that sometimes being a friend means not being there at all, according to the, our wise friend in Proverbs. Proverbs 25, 17, seldom set foot in your neighbour's house, too much of you, and they'll hate you. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? I mean, I move straight on. <laughs> Point taken. Though, Proverbs doesn't move straight on. Proverbs 27 verse 14 says this very similar thing. If anyone loudly blesses their neighbour early in the morning, it'll be taken as a curse. Are you that neighbour? Oh, good morning! It's great to see you. I'm just mowing the lawn. You want me to mow your lawn? I love you, mate. Right? Are you that neighbour? Go away. Give them some space. A friend who knows when they're wearing out their welcome is a friend indeed. Have you overstayed? In some times, do you know what it is? Uh, have you got the kind of friendship that can tell a friend, it's time to go home? <laughs> but more than that, a friend is earnest in their friendships, treating others with respect and honour. A friend doesn't deceive, and they don't joke at other people's expense unkindly. Oh, I might not have this. I haven't got the right verse this is a powerful image. It says, like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death is one who deceives their neighbour and says, I was only joking. Proverbs 26, 18 and 19. See, you, you picture that person who's, who's like a maniac shooting flaming arrows of death. This thing's like, this thing's going to happen as a calamity. And they go, <laughs> you were all worried and freaked out, but I was only joking. Well, you're no good neighbour. You're no good friend. 
So the good friend doesn't trick or lie or joke around. They doesn't have a mean streak to them. Oh, they'll, they'll have fun, but not at your expense and you not at their expense. And if the third part of this was to say that also that we don't hold grudges in our friendships if we want to be wise, because friends are forgiving. Proverbs 17, verse 9. Whoever would foster love covers over an, off- an offence, but whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. Because here's the truth. Every friend will disappoint us, and we will disappoint every friend. But wisdom says, okay, you've been disappointed. Now what? Now cover over that offence. Seek love. Offer forgiveness. Don't bring it up again. Whoever would foster love covers over an offence. But whoever repeats the matter separates close friends. You realise that that's reflecting exactly the way that God treats us as friends, right? That God doesn't keep bringing up our sins to the forefront, but he, he covers them over with his love. And he does that at great expense to himself. There's great sacrifice. It's the picture of the cross. If we don't do the same with our friends, things could well get out of hand. Proverbs 17, verse 14 Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. Sometimes it's okay to let it go and to let it slide. Proverbs 18 verse 19. A brother wronged is more unyielding than a fortified city. Disputes are like the barred gates of a citadel. That on some of our friendships, it's locked down and we're locked out or we've locked others out. And the friendship's gone. But a friend knows when to cover the offence, when to quit fighting, when to shut up, when to forgive. Let me remind you, as hard as that might feel in some of our friendships or some of our lost friendships, please do remember that Jesus treats you that way and me. That he doesn't hold a grudge. That he's forgiven us completely, paid for all of our sins and will not bring it up again. Why would he? He calls us his friends. See, we're reminded in the book of Proverbs and we're reminded when we think about Jesus that forging friendships hard. Oh, it's costly, and it's beautiful, and it's delightful, and it's, it's necessary. Well, it's, it's a beneficial thing in our lives. It's worth it. But Proverbs and our friend in Proverbs tells us it's going to take effort and wisdom. And I want us to finish by recognising that there's power from God that ought to be fueling and feeding into our friendships that actually helps us do what is seemingly impossible. Because when you meet the character of the friend in Proverbs, it all sounds great. It sounds wise and really, really necessary and fun and excellent and things, but really hard too. You could muck it up. You could break hearts. You could lose friendships. And you could look at all the things that are requested and required of us and say, is it possible? Who could do it? And of course, the answer is found 
when you look to see where wisdom is personified. And that's in Jesus. See, when you see who Jesus is and who he is for you, I think that helps us understand how we might do all of our other friendships in the light of that. That I could give myself over to others. I could have that kind of vulnerability. I could have that kind of closeness, that kind of candor. Give that kind of counsel. Knowing that I'm not perfect and neither are they. But Jesus changes all of our understandings and our perspectives on this. Because he doesn't treat us like an enemy, though we are. Or even like a servant. But calls us his friends. Those that he knows completely, he loves anyway and in every way. So when you go back to the night before Jesus died, when he explained what he was about to do on the cross, in John chapter 15, he looks to his disciples and he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lays down his life for his friends. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know his master's doing, but I have called you friends. Catch that, that Jesus' relationship, wisdom personified, is not master-servant, it's friend-friend. And does that matter? Well, just think of the kind of friend that we are to Jesus. That we ignore his counsel from time to time. We'll be distant and standoffish and aloof regularly. We proclaim that we'll be steadfast in our love, but we're only regularly found to be unfaithful. We will desert him. We failed to love him at all times. We've wounded him. And what's his response? His response is the cross. And to cover over all of our offence with his love. For those that have been forgiven much, befriended much, forgive much, friend much. See, Jesus actually shows us what's possible in our friendships. Oh, it's costly, but it's worth it. There's a richness in life because of it. And when we stop and recognise that we are miserable failures as friends to God, and in response to our failure, God gave the cross, not to unfriend us, but to befriend us forever. See, on the cross, when you look there, you see that Jesus proved that he is the friend who sticks closer than a brother. He will not stop loving us for our failures. In fact, he'll love us to death for all times. He's the brother that's born for adversity. The true friend who accepts you completely and forgives you. Totally knows you, doesn't walk away. And he laid down his life for you at the cross. He'll be faithful even when you aren't. He'll be loyal even though you're disloyal. And he'll take your offences and he'll bury them in a tomb. And he'll rise victorious, demonstrating he has the capacity to rule and to guide. He's made you his friend no matter how often you show up in his house, no matter how many times you offend him and no matter how often you fail him. He'll never cast you out. He will always forgive His love never fails. And he says, follow me. Have you met the friend? Have you met the one who is wisdom personified and is 
Is he instructing and guiding you in the way you would befriend others, the kind of friend that you are? Well, as we finish, let me remind you of something you've probably sung before. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and griefs to bear. The second verse. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, what a gift you have given to us in our friendships. Lord, we pray that we would heed your wisdom, walk in the way of it, that we'd see it personified in your Son, lived out so perfectly, and that we might model our friendships on that. But perhaps right now, Lord, the thing that we need to take to you in prayer are lost friendships of years gone by. There's hurt and there's healing that's necessary. Lord, would you minister in a way that only you can and would you guide us in the way that we might pursue or mourn and lament those friendships. But perhaps, Lord, the thing that we need to take to you in prayer this morning, Lord, is that we don't have a friend like the ones described in the book of Proverbs. Lord, we pray that you would cross our paths in that wonderful providential way where we might say, what? You too? I thought I was the only one. That you might forge a friendship for those that find themselves alone. Lord, we pray that we might be the friend to make that friend that we might be friends to one another and love in the way that you've called us to as a church family. Lord, would you guide us in wisdom as we seek out, find and establish and enjoy those friendships. But Lord, help us be wise. But perhaps, Lord, the thing we need to take to the Lord in prayer today is the recognition that we don't know you as our friend. That we recognise actually that we've been a, a poor friend. The relationship we've done with you has been aloof and distant. We've held grudges against you and, and we've been reminded this morning that you love us. And so, Heavenly Father, help us to have the humility to reach out and embark on that friendship with you, a friendship for all eternity. We thank you that we have no other friend that's like you. And even though we might find ourselves to be alone, it's never true. But what a friend we have in you, Lord. Never will we find a friend so faithful, one with all our sorrows we can share. And so, Lord, take them all. Would you guide us in your wisdom? Would you be our friend? We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.